Hi, I'm Calvin Powers from the Americana Music Show. I spend a lot of time driving around in my car listening to CDs so I can handpick the finest Americana just for you. But when I need a Bruce Springsteen fix, I listen to Jesse Jackson and the Set Lusting Bruce Show. There are places I remember And welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and tonight we are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train, though we may talk about him a little bit, and we're going to do a B-side episode where we talk about other people's passions and their possibly obsessions of other musicians. So uh, joining me tonight is a absolutely wonderful writer who, uh, Olivia, I'm going to have her say hi in just a minute, but I just got to tell you right now, my wife was asking, who are you talking to? And I said, oh, it's this wonderful blogger, writer. I said, she works for a website, Pancakes and Whiskey, and she's actually interviewed Brian Wilson. Oh, well, you're jealous, aren't you? So Olivia, (laughs) welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse, for having me. Yeah. Tell me a little about yourself. Hi. So I am a writer in New York City. I live in Hoboken, New Jersey, but I work in uh, New York and Brooklyn. I have been writing professionally for about six years, mostly um, focusing on music journalism. And I am a huge, huge hardcore rock fan. Yes. <laughs> and so I love talking classic rock. I grew up on the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Led Zeppelin, Janis Joplin, Patti Smith, uh, just a whole range of musicians and uh, grew up playing a lot of music myself. So I'm really excited to be here and talk some rock and roll with you. That is great. Um, so um, often my guests do not do video conferencing. We just, because I don't, I released this on audio, but Olivia had a camera. And so I have to tell you, listener, she has the coolest montage behind her (laughs) as we're talking. It is filled with black and white color photos of what she says are her favorite rock and roll, you know, performers and idols. And she's going to send me a photo. I'll include it on the link. It is absolutely beautiful. That looks so cool. Thank you. I love uh, ripping things out of books. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. 
So you talked a little bit growing up, but I want to go a little bit further. So um, was your family musical? Did they like a lot of different kinds of music? And what kind of music did you listen to? Yeah, they were extremely musical. I was one of those lucky kids who grew up with my whole extended family was always singing around the house and playing piano. And um, my grandparents are really talented musicians. My grandpa on uh, the other side of the family was a professional musician. Um, in uh, He actually played for, they had a diner in the 50s in their small town. And it was like the biggest kind of malt shop diner in the whole neighborhood. And he played there and in other nightclubs um, in the 1950s. So definitely goes way back in the family. And um, my parents got me into piano lessons my whole childhood. I think it was one of the best things they've ever given me to this day. And I was really involved in marching bands. So I was always uh, studying music at the same time as soaking up all the music everyone around me loved as well. What did you play in band in high school? I would say the most uh, most reasonable answer to that is like everything. Really, you were one <laughs> yeah. of those. I was, yeah, I was definitely one of those. That if is I cool. Get my hands on it. I wanted to figure it out and play it. But um, I, for the longest, I played flute and piano and percussion and uh, French horn and mellophone. Those were like the ones I stuck to the longest. Were you in a big high school? Yeah, I actually went to Winter Park High School in Florida, which is uh, known for its marching band being okay. uh, really, really competitive. So um, I was a part of the band there, and that was really cool, and uh, went on to do marching band at UCF uh, in college. Okay, very nice. Um, my son went to Stephen F. Austin, which is a small school in um, you know East Texas, and they have a really big um, music school. And as they were talking to us, they were explaining that because so many kids go on to be band directors, that they mm -hmm. teach both kinds of marching. You know, there's the military marching and I guess something else. And so they have both of them. Um, I, I'm a sucker for a good uh, theme and motto. And uh, Nacogdoches, Texas is the oldest city in Texas. And really? so they call their band, the college band, the boldest sound from the oldest town. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I just was loving that. So, uh, yeah, so it was great. I, I'm well, very cool. Um, did you study music in college when you went off to college or did you do journalism? I did journalism, mass communications, but I was in the marching band. Um, and I, uh, actually got my associate's degree in mass communications in just one year and um, went off to write pretty quickly after that because I already had contracts writing actually so I was just excited to get working and it somehow it didn't all fall apart like everyone thinks that will and I've been uh, doing good ever since. How did you when did you first get uh, it's very clear in your family that the music bug was going to bite you but how did the writing bug come from where did that come from do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, my dad actually worked in journalism. He was a news director. So he was uh, absolutely an awesome influence in uh, the writing field. And um, he was always proofreading all my essays before I turned them in and giving me really good, like really good constructive feedback on them. And I 
always appreciated that uh, from the writing angle. Um, but I think I started wanting to write about shows um, when I was uh, in my teen years because I actually didn't have a lot of money and I couldn't afford to go to a lot of shows. Um, so when I did get to go to a few, what I would do is I would write down these really vivid descriptions right afterwards so that I would remember everything that had happened. Um, and then there was one point where um, that I wanted to uh, share with some of my friends uh, what had happened at the particular show, so I just sent them what I had written. And I hadn't really thought of sharing that stuff with anyone before, but um, they took an interest in it, and it just made me kind of think that uh, other people might as well. So I kind of threw myself into that as my main focus, um, and that's what I've been doing ever since then. Did you – it sounds like you are very busy in college both – uh, in high school with music, were you on like the high school or college newspaper? Did you write any then? Uh, I was just blogging kind of on my own at that point. Okay. Um, what I was doing is like a very primitive form of what I'm professionally doing now, which was I was basically just begging bands to let me come to their show to give me a ticket. And in exchange, I was going to write them a blog piece and kind of raise some awareness about them for really, really small local bands. So I just kept doing that. And my goal was to kind of build up a portfolio and figure out what the hell I was supposed to be doing. Okay, yeah. Um, is there, and it's obviously a journey, Olivia, but do you feel like there was something significant, either a blog or, you know, where you went, wow, this one kind of over the hump, I don't know a better way to put it, where you went, wow, I, this one kind of brought me a step ahead where I really, you felt really proud of it and you went, okay, this, this one was a keeper. Mm, from articles I've written over the years? Yeah, just, I know it's, I, um, uh, so let me give you a little background. I have a friend named Tom Zoller. Mm -hmm. He is an artist and he currently has, um, not only has a couple of comic book outs, but he's doing a webtoon, web comics on the webtoons website called Warning Label. Absolutely great comic. But he's talked about he'll never get a tattoo because he would have to have something he drew and anything he draws six months later he hates. So, um, so, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can to that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and every once in a while he'll draw something and he'll say, okay, this one I may not hate in six months. This one I'm yeah. really proud of. So I didn't know if there was, you know, um, you know, the whole Gladwell, right? You've got to go through all these hours and you've got to write all these things. Um, same thing for a podcast. You have to do a lot of podcasts before you figure out, okay, maybe this one didn't suck. So how about you? Is there maybe a couple of significant ones you went, okay, I think I stepped my game up on this one. Yeah, it's so funny you ask that because I always try to just keep my head down and just keep pounding out articles. I don't even really care if people read them. I just want them to be there. <laughs> I want to get them out of my system in a way. And I, I know I promised I wasn't going to curse, so you're going to have to bleep it, but That's it's okay. a fundamental part. It's a fundamental part of my philosophy, but I'm always just trying to write the shit out of me, so yeah. to speak. I just want to like get it all out. But yeah, to, to answer your question, um, it, there were a couple pieces where I really felt like just amazed to be in the position that I was in to be interviewing someone like that. Mm -hmm. Or um, it, Yeah, so the, the one that comes to mind is um, getting to interview Tim Comerford, who's the basis for Rage Against the Machine last fall. Um, that was a really special one for me because I had never been backstage at somewhere as big as Barclays Center before, which is 
uh, kind of like a Madison Square Garden right. equivalent. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with the venue, um, but it's one of those massive kind of arena venues. And so I was going down into the underbelly of it to do this interview. And um, it, it was one of those things where the um, the manager and the people who were, uh, you know, kind of securing the area were telling us we had a really, really short amount of time. So I was only going to get just a few minutes to talk to him. And I ended up getting in some questions that got him so interested in talking that he was actually yelling back at people like, no, give us more time. I want to finish my story and talk to her more. So that was amazing. And then what actually came out of that is I broke kind of a sort of a big story at the time that was on the political edge where he said um, he felt like ISIS was a myth, or at least the way it's been portrayed in the media is a myth, which is uh, quite a, a scandalous thing to say. So it was picked up by a whole bunch of uh, mainstream news sources and uh, I'll link back to my article, which was oh, kind yeah. of interesting. And it just felt uh, really uh, exciting that people were interested in something, you know, this conversation I had had with him and that I had, um, you know, gotten him interested enough and in wanting to talk about it and divulge something like that. You know, my, I, not to make this too personal, but my lovely bride doesn't get this podcasting thing. And and I tried to explain it to her that her older brother loves playing the drums and he was, you know, he grew up, you know, in the sixties. And so he lived that Ricky Nelson, they, he did bands and he played the Catholic youth organization and they played teen dances. And, you know, he played all the way through college. And he said, if he had a bunch of friends, he said every Sunday we would just get together in a barn and play music and we wouldn't care if anyone heard us or not. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's kind of how I feel about the podcast. Don't get me wrong. I love that I have listeners and I do everything I can to promote the podcast so people listen. But the reality is, and I'll use your words, I just got to get this crap. I just, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I truly, you know, one of my early reviews Someone said, Jesse, Jesse should make a frequently asked question section because he repeats a lot of the same stories. And, <laughs> and that hurt me. But I realized the reason why is because I don't I think of this as a conversation I'm having and right. you've never heard that story. Yeah, and if, it's, and if it's applicable to what our discussion is, I'm going to bring it up. So I that's that's awesome. <laughs> How did you get that? Uh, did you just by hard work or they had reached out to you? How did you get that interview? I'm really fortunate uh, working for Pancakes and Whiskey because they just really have supported such a wide range of artists and PR partners that they we just get really cool opportunities like that. And I'm very lucky to be able to do some things like that. Do you um, is there uh, I assume reading the blog it's a very diverse blog. I mean, I mean, it's a little bit of local bands, national bands, all kinds of genre. Um, and whiskey. Yeah, yeah, and whiskey, <laughs> yes. Um, and we will get around to the whiskey soon. Uh, <laughs> that's very cool. Um, do you guys, um, do you get to raise your hand and go, hey, I'd like that one? Or do you play that card very sparingly? <laughs> yeah, um, so I think a lot of people on the team request things that they want well in advance, and uh, it's pancakes and whiskey is really, really accommodating and do a good job getting people out to what they want to get out to. I think yeah. also because 
it's uh, more meaningful when you have someone there who really loves the band and knows that stuff really well. So um, I think it works kind of that way um, at, at some publications, but I'm really fortunate. It, it's the, uh, definitely a very supportive environment here. You know, Olivia, I agree with you because um, I want that personal perspective. Um, I don't need a dry, you know, rendition of the concert or just, you know, or a, a through the numbers interview. I want someone that has, you know, is it's got a little skin in the game. Um, one of my other hobbies is um, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and um, I have a couple of sketchbooks and I go to different comic conventions and I go up to artists and I say, I have a Doctor Who themed sketchbook. Um, you know, do you want to do a sketch? And if the guy or gal says, well, do you have a reference material? I go, no, that's okay. I'm, you know, I appreciate it. I really just want people who love the show to do the art in there. Um, mm -hmm. and so I kind of feel the same way. I, you know, and we'll talk about your Brian Wilson interview and your Brian Wilson review, but reading that, and that's the reason I reached out to you, you could tell that this meant something to you, not just because of you, but because of your father. And so you were professional when you talked to Brian, but there was that just the dash of fandom in there that made it just lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Yeah, it's um, a really interesting fine line for me because um, one of the things that has kind of inspired me to pursue music journalism is I feel like there's not a lot of really awesome coverage out there sometimes. I feel like some bands just don't get enough exposure, get really good write-ups or get, you know, the d kind of descriptors applied to them that they deserve. Um, and it kind of bugs me. So <laughs> that's one reason I keep pursuing it, I guess. Um, but I, I think, yeah, that's, um, it's really important to me to be able to um, encourage other writers to do something that they're really, really passionate about because um, I have a lot of people come to me and they're interested in writing and uh, they find that they can't get started on, on what they want to write and they just don't know how to you know, get, get the first couple of words down. And I think um, I, I never have that problem with music, to be honest. It, I, I mean, everyone has the normal procrastination and um, a lot of times with music journalism in particular, it's very easy to uh, get distracted because sometimes the deadline is the very next morning. So you're up writing for like 11 hours after a show. So yeah. that's that's a little different. But I never have the feeling where I don't know what to say. Usually it's like I have so much to say. I don't I don't even know how to trim it all down into an article. So, um, I yeah, I would I strongly encourage people to go out and pursue something that makes them feel like almost annoyed like if if they don't do it you know no one else is going to do it right that's the kind of job i think everyone should try to have you know uh, olivia and i truly don't mean to keep bringing this back to me but there's a lot of things you're saying that sound accord with me um lynette carolla adam carolla's wife had done a few episodes of a podcast where she interviewed friends of hers fellow celebrities talking about their Springsteen fandom and she wasn't doing the podcast very often and I was desperate to get more you know stories and I wanted to hear this and in the spirit of well light a candle instead of curse the darkness I went well maybe I could do that maybe I can go out there and do that and um 
you know, I know another thing like Kevin Smith talks about to people that are fans of his films, he's like, go out and do it yourself. He said, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can now with an iPhone, you know, you can do a movie and you could throw it on YouTube. You, right. you can be creative yourself. Go out there and do it. So I, I think that's wonderful. You talking about it that, um, you know, you can get out there and cover your favorite band or cover a band and then get it out there and share. So good for you. Totally. And when I talk about a fine line, this is where it gets really interesting. And it's all my inner battles as a writer every single time I write an article. But with Brian Wilson, it was uh, tricky trying to figure out how much of myself to inject into the article. Because when I talk about feeling annoyed by, you know, some of the coverage out there, I I'm not a big fan of when you, you know, like, just focus half the article on how you feel about a band, you know, and talk about how it affected your own personal life. Um, but in in the case of Brian, I really felt like it was unavoidable because he's one of those artists who had such a deep influence on me. Um, I, I It didn't do it justice just to do a straight interview. I right. had to convey how important it was to me because it it really was like almost a, a terrifying experience. It was kind of the walking on the moon of my career. Like it was the biggest thing I always wanted to do. And, and suddenly it just fell into my lap and I had to figure out how to do it. So let's talk about that a little bit. How did the interview happen? Well, that was one of those amazing, wonderful pancakes and whiskey things where they just had a really good uh, you know, PR contacts who they'd supported with other things in the past and it just sort of came up. Um, so I was really, really lucky uh, to be asked to do it because um, our editor knows what a huge Brian Wilson fan I am, mm-hmm. and he knew that I'd be knowledgeable enough about it to pull it off. Good. So how much pre- how much preparation did you do? Well, not counting like the, you know, the 20 years I spent listening to him, uh, but for, for this particular one, it really was quite a lot. And I um, am really grateful my dad is such a big music nerd and it, we, you know, we always grew up having these really deep music discussions, like really obscure things. And um, I think uh, it was awesome being able to bring him into kind of the preparation process because he and I were having like almost daily kind of conference calls talking about, okay, if we ask him this, what do you think his response will be to that? And if we go into this, do you think that'll get into this territory? And he was really trying to help me figure out um, the best things to ask him to really pique his interest and get him to open up a little bit. Yeah. um, Historically, you know, Brian is, can be very, one word answered as we talked about before we hit record and and if he's not into the interview it can be difficult um yeah actually after i did the interview and i'm really glad it happened afterward um i read on his wikipedia page it says like brian wilson is notoriously difficult to interview sometimes he gives misinformation to see if people are paying attention. Sometimes he pretends to fall asleep if he's bored with the journalist. (laughs) I was laughing afterwards because I was so glad I didn't have that experience and so glad that I hadn't read that beforehand because I might have been a little more nervous. But (laughs) I think that's one of the ways he um, ensures that the people who are talking to him are really interested in his work and not just, you know, some of the tabloidy stuff that surrounds uh, decades of being in one of the biggest rock bands. Yeah, and, you know, I would have... I would have been thinking, okay, what do I ask that is still relevant, but not, okay, I've been asked that a hundred times, you know? Yeah. And, and so, sure. um, 
I was lucky enough um, a couple months ago, uh, Vinny Lopez, who was one of the, the original drummer on the E Street Band, joined me. And I asked very early, I said, does the only thing people want to talk about is you leaving the E Street Band? And he goes, that's <laughs> all anyone wants to talk about. And I said, okay, we will not talk about this one. I That's said, if you perfect. if you ever want to join me again, we can talk about it. But for this interview, we're not going to talk about that. And we talked about everything else, and it was nice. So um, that's – was there any question – well, let's talk about – by the way, great interview. I, I, I'm Thank gushing so on it. It, it, it. it really could tell you – it seemed like he enjoyed talking to you, and he told some good stories and shared some things. Was there anything you were especially proud that you got to talk to him about? Well, I'm when you say he enjoyed talking to me, honestly, I was really proud afterwards that he actually posted it on his Facebook and Twitter page and said, great, great article and interview. So I was absolutely oh. blown away by that. Yeah. <laughs> not, just, not just even, I didn't even, you know, care as much about the exposure, exposure, but the fact that he had actually enjoyed talking and that I wasn't just a, a nuisance to him. Cause I knew it was probably the kind of situation where he had interviews lined up all day long. And that's all, oftentimes the situation when you're interviewing someone big. So just the fact that he um, appreciated it meant absolutely the world to me. Um, and I, I was proud that he, um, you know, kind of divulged some of the di advice he gave me at the end of the article, because mm -hmm. um, I had, when you're talking about spe specific things uh, not to talk about, I had specifically planned, I wasn't going to bring up drugs with Brian, um, because uh, in preparing for the interview, I watched, I think every uh, video interview I could get my hands on since like the sixties with Brian. I watched pretty much everything I could find and they asked it almost every single time. And it, you don't need to, after a while, they've answered it already. It's done. Exactly. And, and with Brian in particular, he has such an active career right now. There's so much that's happening for him right in this moment. It just seems like a slight to focus on something like that. But I was really proud um, that he wanted to give me that advice at the end, which was uh, don't take psychedelic drugs. And that's the he said that was the advice he would give to young people. And um, he said it, he kind of made it like that was that was it. It's that it's that simple was the way he delivered it to me. So. Um, I just felt really honored that he kind of wanted to pass something along to me and it kind of changed it from an interview to just like talking to a hero of mine. That is very cool. Um, I had discovered the Beach Boys in 1977 with Endless Summer and became absolutely obsessed and tried to find everything we could. Um, you know, I we saw the Beach Boys many times and I was always disappointed Brian wasn't there or when he was there, you know, he wasn't playing. And yeah. um, during the first Pet Sounds tour, he was here in Dallas, and I was able to see, and he looked happy, and he seemed engaged, and and um, it made me so happy. I actually, I still put that as one of my top five concerts of all times, mm -hmm. uh, just to hear those because the it's so beautiful. And, um, and I went and saw Love and Mercy a couple of times in the film, you know, in the theater and was just amazed. And I got lucky enough, John Cusack was at a comic convention 
And, oh, wow. Yeah, and so my friend Tom that I talked about drew a caricature of John in the Beach Boys striped Pendleton shirts. Mm-hmm. And and um, so I got in the line, and, um, and a lot of people had say anythings and, you know, all these different posters, and I brought this up to sign. And, you know, John stopped and said, this is amazing. And I said, well, I love the movie. And he's and he said, you know, Brian was happy with it. And that was enough for me. Yeah, that makes me so happy as a Brian fan. And that was one of the things I was dying to ask him about. And lucky we got to talk about in the interview was love and mercy. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to know what it was like to have so many private thoughts and moments out in the open and portrayed in such a dramatic way like that. I just kind of point blank asked him, like, is that weird? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> he's he said, you know, the actors and actresses portrayed everything so well, it, it really took him back to when he was making records. But but he also that was when he started getting into the drug uh, content that I really wasn't expecting uh, us to even talk about. And he just he mentioned that um, he didn't like the way they portrayed the psychedelic drugs in the movie. And I asked him why. And, um, you know, he didn't he wasn't really keen to answer at first. So I kind of prompted, you know, were they not portrayed as, uh, as scary, as terrifying as they were in real life? And he said, yeah, they, you know, it wasn't as intense as it was. So I thought that was interesting that, um, he didn't, he, you know, seemed really happy with the portrayal overall and said it felt really real to life. But the only thing that didn't feel real was how terrifying some of those experiences were. Yeah. And I, I believe the scenes of him in the studio showing them creating were just amazing. It just, it, and then, um, beautiful dreamer, the documentary that they had done about smile. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my wife and I will watch that and, you know, she will say, look how afraid he is. He is absolutely petrified with peer fear as they're playing this and to Mm -hmm. see them, him overcome that is just truly, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but it's this, it's this inspiring story of him being a survivor and the amount of truly love and mercy he's given to us. Yeah, it really is. He, I, that's one of the reasons he inspires me so much is because he has gone through some of the most complicated things that I can't even begin to imagine, you know, kind of the dark periods he went through. Um, and he just continues doing what he loves. He just keeps putting music out into the world over and over again and just keeps working at it. And uh, it's, I don't even know if it's like a coping strategy for him. He just loves to do it. It's it's not even like uh, in a response to any of the darkness. It's just how, who he is, he, you know, breathes it. So I find that really beautiful. And my dad and I have always respected him so much. Um, and it was interesting timing that I got uh, asked to do this interview because my dad had actually a few months before he had sort of kidnapped me and um, had me, he flew me down to, to Florida just to see Brian Wilson live with him. He got quickly, you know, got us tickets right off the bat because it, he said it was actually one of his bucket list items was to take me to see Brian Wilson. So, um, you know, just a few months after that, I'm getting a call for him was, was a really surreal experience and just yes. such an honor for my dad and I. <laughs> I bet. Um, this was, uh, the no peer pressure kind of tour around that time or. No, it was actually just, um, not that long ago okay. back in March. 
March. So uh, oh, that was still cool. in the Pet Sounds tour. So I saw the Pet Sounds show that I would end up interviewing him about. Oh, and nice. then, um, and then after the interview, I got to cover him uh, in New York City at Radio City. So that uh, it was kind of a good like preparation <laughs> session. Right interview and I hadn't even realized it would be how did you um I, I've read the review but it seemed like you loved the show there was just joy it, yeah it was really special in New York and he um he really lit up and was just really high energy and he seemed happy to be there and the crowd you know knows so much about him I think and they just want that for him so badly that the exchange is just really exciting you can just feel that positive energy and it, it really is like kind of like good vibrations it was just it, I bet one it of was yeah yeah kind of unifying experiences do you have a favorite two or three Brian Wilson songs I didn't put that on the agenda so it's okay if you uh Ooh, I think about yeah, it I if you pick like entire albums yeah okay so what you, what how about albums <laughs> Well, I, I think if I had to pick songs, they'd probably all be on Smile because I'm just such a big Smile fan. It was uh, actually the first album I ever owned. Uh, my dad bought me the CD when I was really young. And um, it was before I even really listened to the Beatles or knew anything about rock. So it was kind of a beautiful way to start my musical upbringing. It's such a, um, if you know the opening track, Our Prayer G, yes. it's such a beautiful like kind of birth of an album it's just a perfect opening for a record and um that that would be probably my favorite brian song and then other things on smile i just think it that that whole album is a com it's like one complete song almost so <laughs> it's hard to pick specifics but it, i love that it is um there are um i i love no peer pressure i love brian wilson his first solo album Obviously, there's tons of Beach Boy music I love and Pet oh, Sounds, yeah. but both Smile and Pet Sounds do seem to work better when you just, I know it's a CD, but you feel like you put the needle on track one and just listen straight through. Yeah, and and I think Pet Sounds was one of the second, like second or third CDs mm -hmm. I owned right after Smile, so I hold that one in very, very high regards as well. That's awesome. Well, um... How about is there other either concerts or memorable experiences that it obviously Brian and interviewing him and seeing the show, especially with your dad and then following up men a lot, but are there other significant stories you might want to share? Yeah, well, it, the past uh, year has been really amazing. I recently got to write about Blondie, which was another dream come true because oh, yeah. she's probably my favorite songstress at living still. Um, and so that was amazing. And, um, you know, but l last year or actually the year before I got to cover Robert Plant and I'm a huge Zeppelin fan and, um, I'm looking forward to writing about him again, hopefully this year. Um, so that was really, uh, kind of a life changing <laughs> one as well. Um, and just recently I got to, um, write about Paul McCartney, which was, and I mean, it was uh, just a few weeks after the Brian interview. So I was just stunned because it's like kind of the two biggest things on my bucket list. I just knocked them out back to back. Yeah, that's kind of okay. <laughs> and it was <laughs> um, kind of crazy. But uh, the best part about that was um, after publishing the article, um, I got an, an email from his PR that uh, later the next night that said, Maka said he liked your review. Oh, and nice. I just 
absolutely sobbed. And now the kind of joke with all my buddies is like, this is it, I'm retiring. There's, you know, you can't beat that. That's like the best thing imaginable. So that, that one was really, really special. And um, to even know that he read it is just still, I can't even, I, I don't even know how to fathom it because he's one of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> a, I guess it's been a year and a half, it, um, maybe a little bit longer than that, but um, Brian was in Jersey and, um, and Springsteen joined him on stage. And uh, I have made the joke that um, if I had been in the audience, it'd been like nothing else will ever top this. My yeah. son getting married, <laughs> nah. First grandkid, <laughs> nah. I saw Brian Wilson and Bruce Springsteen together. Yep, just yeah. you can take me, Lord. I, you know, I'm gone. <laughs> That's it, so, exactly. <laughs> so I can imagine that feeling. And to hear, you know, Paul say, you know, his people say, yeah, he liked that. That was cool. That's got to be yeah, something special. Even if they just said, like, he knew you wrote it or he knew it existed or he read it for a second would mean the world to me. But just, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, um, it's kind of, it's really funny because I feel like I'm just writing these love letters all the time. I'm just like writing these love letters about albums I love and shows I loved and artists that I'm obsessed with. And, um, I'm just kind of putting them out there and then it's really odd to me now that they might actually read them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've been in the mode of just pounding things out for for years, and um, to have to to have them kind of on the other side of it now is such an incredible blessing, and it just makes me want to keep going and do more. Yeah, I I totally get that, and I understand. Um, do you? So you've gotten a couple things off your bucket list. Do you have a couple others that you'd? You, you would love to interview or you'd love to see and write a review of? Well, obviously, interviewing Paul is the next step. Okay. So, Maka, if you're listening, yes. I'm dying too. <laughs> I, know, I know who to get in touch with. <laughs> we'll talk. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, I've gotten to the point where I've knocked out a lot of the bands that I just wanted to see live in my life, and now it's more like I either want to, you know, get to write about them in depth or get to – um, see them in a different setting. Like a lot of bands I've only seen like in a festival setting. So I'd love to see them in their own show. Sure. And then obviously, you know, there's so many interviews I'd love to do. Debbie Harry would be amazing. Um, Paul McCartney would be incredible. I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. So any member of Pearl Jam would change my life. Absolutely. <laughs> I would love to interview Eddie Vedder, Mike McCready, especially. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, it, it's kind of a really fun um, career choice because you never finish, you know, no. there's just, there's always going to be more to do and more music coming out. And I feel almost overwhelmed with how much good stuff is out there sometimes. And that's a really good feeling. Uh, Olivia, do you write on anything besides music? Do you have a, the great American novel in the back of your mind or <laughs> uh, do you have other burning hot opinions you need to get out on the page? Well, um, I often joke that uh, if you don't hear from me for a while, like if I go off social media or people, I'm not keeping in touch. It's because I'm just like gathering up material for a huge, crazy book someday. Because okay. honestly, they, I've had so many really fascinating experiences, especially working in music and just, um, you know, it, it might be it might be something people might want to read someday, or it might be something I just need to get out of my system, but it, that'll probably happen. Um, but I've been writing since I was really, really young. And I wrote my first 
quote unquote novel in uh, third grade, which yes. um, it won a ribbon at the county fair, by the way. So do you still <laughs> have the ribbon? Or anything. <laughs> do you still have the ribbon? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure my mom does. Um, but that, that was a really, really trippy story I wrote about um, these kids in school where they suddenly had to start playing this game where they couldn't touch anything that was the color green. So they were getting in trouble for not eating their vegetables and not using the chalkboard and all kinds of stuff. So that was like my breakthrough novel Very <laughs> as a nice. really, really young kid. Um, but no, I just, in, in all seriousness, it was always something I wanted to do. And, um, when I started, I actually, um, was writing about, uh, a lot of food and restaurants cause that was just the first, uh, job I was able to get. Um, I was freelancing for, uh, a travel site that's now called trip.com. Um, okay. and so I was their first, city correspondent in um, Orlando, where I grew up. I grew up in Florida. Um, and so they actually sent me to review uh, restaurants and hotels and different attractions around the theme parks. So that was pretty much the sweetest job ever as a budding writer I and, bet. A, and a teenager. And so, yeah, I still love writing about food. And uh, food and whiskey often comes up working at Pancakes and Whiskey as well. Um, and I also, in my free time, I spend a lot of time documenting uh, street art and graffiti uh, around the city. Very cool. So I think at some point I may write about that as well, because that's really turned into a cool experience over the years I've been doing it. And that, that all takes place on my Instagram. So okay. it's a totally different world over there. Um, but yeah, music and, and art and food are always going to be areas that I get passionate about. Any special or any favorite whiskeys or things that you have really enjoyed experiencing? <laughs> oh, man, I, I have so many favorite whiskeys now. Um, it, just from getting to interview rock stars and drink whiskey with them and pretend I know what I'm talking about <laughs> when it comes to whiskey. <laughs> and then, you know, like when I'm transcribing interviews, I'm always frantically Googling these obscure names later, trying to figure out what, what they were talking about when I'm asking them their favorite whiskeys and stuff. Sometimes we get real like Irish and Scottish musicians who know way more than I do. Um, right. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much a fan of all whiskey now, I think. Okay. Um, but I'm uh, also very, very, very German. So I'm a big IPA and beer drinker okay. <laughs> when I'm not drinking whiskey. Have you um, ever gone to Kentucky and done the Kentucky Bourbon Trail? No, I haven't. It is. I think, uh, Pancakes and Whiskey has done some coverage of it, though. You you need to put that on your bucket list. Um, okay, listeners, I apologize. You've heard this story, but Olivia has not. Um, <laughs> back in 2012, my wife and I had never we had we realized we had not gone on vacation together in we can't remember how we've either had the boy with us or another couple and we decide we want to do a vacation together. And I came up with the idea that, um, Bruce Springsteen was doing his, uh, wrecking ball tour and he wasn't coming anywhere close to Texas. So we would drive from Dallas, Texas, go through Kentucky, see part of the Kentucky bourbon trail, go up to Cleveland, see him perform in Cleveland, the next day go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, then drive back, finish the rest of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, then come home. We called it our Bruce and Bourbon Tour. Oh, awesome. And um, so it was absolutely f 
a blast. It was a fun, and we just fell in love with um, doing these, going to these different distilleries and hearing how they, you know, the whole science and art of making bourbon. Um, so um, it it is a great trip to go with a friend or with, you know, I had a, I was talking to a guy and he was saying, yeah, my best friend, that's his bachelor party. We're renting a van and there's about five of us and we're going to do the Kentucky bourbon trail over three or four days. And so, um, put that on your bucket list. Be crashed after three or four days. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes, it is. Uh, because you know, they give you samples, um, you pay for the tour, but then they give you a little samples. Um, so you get to try all this different bourbon and you get to go smell the mash and they talk about the process and there are things, there's a bottles of bourbon and rye, depending on the distillers that you can't get at a regular store. They sell it only there. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great thing to do. So good. Uh, glad <laughs> to hear that. Um, I now then, uh, Lynn and I want to go to Scotland and Ireland, not to see the sites, but to just do Irish whiskey or scotch distilleries. Yeah, do all the drinking. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so um, we haven't talked about it. So any what what was your father's thoughts on Bruce Springsteen, and what what are your thoughts of it? And do you have a hot Broadway opinion about him show, playing at Broadway? Oh man, <laughs> now you're putting me on the spot. Uh, I'm probably going to be careful with the Bruce questions because okay. one big reason, he is one of the ones on my list that I've never gotten to see live yet. Okay. And I feel like, as you'll probably agree, um, seeing him live is probably a transformative experience compared to just listening to all his studio stuff. So I think a lot of my favorite stuff and opinions about him now are probably drastically going to change when I get to see him live. So it is a common saying, Olivia, there are two kinds of people. The people that go see their first Bruce Springsteen concert and go, wow, damn, that was long. (laughs) And then the others that say, oh, my God, I want to sell everything I own and follow this guy everywhere. Obviously, (laughs) I became the second. Um, Yeah, I mean, it is um, he has a reputation, rightly so, of being a fabulous live performer. And um, Broadway is going to be very different. According to the reviews I've read, this is definitely a he is reading from his autobiography. He is doing a set set list. Um, so it is a definite sh- one man show, not a one man concert. So that's uh, cool that he's integrating parts of his autobiography. I've actually been reading it. Um, the one he released or the one yeah, he uh, run, published right. last year, born to run. Yeah. It's, it's really great. It, I was going to ask you what your thoughts on that. Um, it feels, and of course I'm biased as a fan, but, it's very real. Yeah. And it feels um, very down to earth and just like you're, you're not, you're right there with them, you know? And, um, I, you know, Brian's autobiography came out at the same time and I enjoyed it as well, but I think Bruce got a little more deep into his depression and kind of his, mm-hmm. his life journey. Um, it, it was, um, yeah, in fact, I'm, I had, it's my, this past weekend was my 40th high school reunion. And so I had to drive down to Louisiana. And so I had picked up the audio book. And so Bruce was my companion the whole way there and the whole back (laughs) listening to the audio version of the book. So yeah, I'm still reading it now. So we'll, you know, maybe we'll have to have a follow up when I finish it. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be good to hear. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, 
Yeah, it, you know, actually, I might hold you to that and force you to have a deep discussion with me after I finally get to see him live one day. Oh, um, book it. But he's definitely on the list. Um, and my dad has an awesome musical n expertise. He just he uh, brought me up listening to so much classic rock, and um, so I I got really good exposure to all the the basics and the quintessential stuff that right. you need to know, but. I feel like I'm still constantly discovering new things as an adult, and um, it, they're new to me, but they're sometimes really, really obvious to my friends who are older than me, because um, I was born in 1994. Right. So, <laughs> very, very weird time to be born when all your favorite music happened a few decades yes, before. Exactly. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of uh, constantly catching up, and uh, it's always exciting getting to have those real life experiences with, um, you know, the, those legends who you grew up listening to. Um, I was sorry to miss some of them who've passed away in recent years. Uh, like I really wanted to see Bowie and Prince and um, yeah, so many others who, who passed on. So I, I really revere those shows and I'll, you know, drop anything to get to see them if I get a chance to. Uh, absolutely. I did not, I, I never saw Tom Petty and you know, yeah. now that I have this, the sadness because everyone said this latest tour was amazing. Um, the um, yes, we'll definitely have to talk about it. Now you mentioned Pearl Jam. You've seen them live. Yes, quite okay. a few times. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there is a um, there's a synergy. Uh, one of my f uh, fellow podcast hosts, uh, we do an American Gods podcast, and we do a um, Game of Thrones podcast, and Wendy is a huge Pearl Jam um, fan. And, you know, Eddie Vedder obviously has covered Bruce plenty of times. Oh, yeah. And, and they seem to be this 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 mutual respect between the two of them. So, and um, they're not slouch live musicians either. No, no. I, I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. And I actually, um, I think it's interesting because... My dad kind of brought me up. He got me into the 50s and the 60s. He covered like all that territory. My mom was more of a 70s and 80s girl. So she okay. covered everything in those decades. And then I kind of spent my teen and adult years discovering everything in the 90s and 2000s. So um, yeah, in recent years, I really, really got obsessed with Pearl Jam. I was always a huge, huge Nirvana fan. So it kind of uh, was a natural progression. And I've seen them live quite a bit now, which has been amazing. And they've actually, yeah, they've furthered my interest in Bruce Springsteen, which is sort of backwards because it's one of those weird, <laughs> one of those weird generational things where a younger band is, you know, kind of exposing me to more of uh, an older one. But uh, yeah, everything's sort of backwards when you're born in the 90s, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> um We'll wrap it up. I, I thank you so much for taking so much time with me. Do thank you, you. Um, any songs that you want to bring out that you know that have special meaning to you that have been um, you know something special to you and your family? Okay, <laughs> I'm actually. You might be interested to know, Jesse, that I have this playlist I've been building for a couple years on Spotify. I'm okay. a huge Spotify gal. Um, that's called rock songs. I can't live without. Nice. And yeah. 
you would think that'd be a great one to, you know, expose the world to and show everyone, but it's actually out of control. And I've been trying to curate it because it's currently over 29 hours long, <laughs> 29 total. And I keep adding to it all the time. So, uh, you know, picking a favorite song is pretty tricky, but, um, there are some Beatles songs that have, uh, really had an impact on me and in my dad and I have been huge Beatles fans ever since I was a kid like I'm talking every single Christmas to this day I get a Beatles calendar in the mail I get the new Beatles calendar every single year I still hang it on my wall and I mean that's how hardcore we were you know my whole childhood so um you know Abbey Road is a record that I uh, has had a huge impact on me and um, it meant a lot to get to see Paul finish out with the Abbey Road ending when he played at um, at uh, Barclays recently, and I covered him because it. Um, if you know a little bit about the history of that record, that really was like the end for the Beatles, and that was the last thing they were going to do together. So the end of that album is so moving, and to hear him sing uh, those songs straight through was absolutely incredible. So I would have to say... Uh, Abbey Road is right up there in terms of really special stuff. Okay, very nice. Um, that's that's pretty cool. Um, so what's next? What do you got in the hopper as far as um, articles or concerts you're going to? Whiskey you're going to review? <laughs> well, I don't want to give anything away, but there's always good stuff coming up. Okay, and, very nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, I'm really, really blessed to just be sent. I have a lot of artists and musicians sending me really cool stuff all the time. And I, I am just so honored by that. And if any of you guys who send me stuff all the time are listening, thank you. I wish I could take more time and listen to all your music. But um, I am trying to be really open minded and listen to all different genres and, you know, take whatever comes my way. So uh, I uh, don't limit myself to just rock, and I'm ready to take on any shows that come next. Very nice. Olivia, this has been a blast. I have loved talking to you. If someone wants to reach you to find more information, how can they? Thank you. So great talking to you as well. Um, and, yeah, I appreciate everyone who wants to read so much. It means the absolute world to me. Uh, you can find all my stuff on oliviaeisenhart.com. I um, am really active on Twitter. That's a good place to bug me if you want me to check out your music or your band or PR person. Um, and you can also uh, see my street art and some of the other stuff I'm involved in on uh, Instagram. Perfect. And I will put links to all of them, including the Pancakes and Whiskey blog, in the show notes. So you can find that. Um, I, that's just wonderful. I appreciate it so much. Um, well, this has been a joy. I hope you've had fun. I, yes, I just think you are you. great. You are, you are a great interviewee as well as being a great interviewer. Um, Thank I did you. one Take last <laughs> question. Um, are there any writers that have influenced you? We talked a lot about music, but with your other side of the coin, are there writers that have influenced you? Yeah, I'm really old school there. I'm a huge, uh, Charles Bukowski fan. F. Scott Fitzgerald and J.D. Salinger are probably my top three. Um, J.D. Salinger, uh, I especially, I think I drew a lot of inspiration from when I started writing, um, just because I, I actually was insane and carried a copy of Catcher in the Rye with me for years. Like, it was always in my bag. Um, and I read it all the time. And the way 
he wrote and it, it just made you feel like uh, you were, you know, right there with him and he was just talking to you as a regular person. And I, I had never read anything that really felt like that. And I don't know if I've read anything that really compares to that book since. And so that that's definitely been a big inspiration for me and um, kind of trying to take that same vibe and just talk to people like they're real people uh, when you're talking about music, I think is especially important for that particular field because music is something that's really emotional and um, you know it's called music journalism and I consider myself a journalist but I I really don't just report on music I you know kind of try to capture how it feels which is <laughs> a lot deeper so yeah well, that's no that's that's awesome I, I love the rock songs I can't live without um, I, I've told the story in a different episode so I'll give you the short but um, you know, I, I just went through eight rounds of chemo and um, I had an F cancer playlist that was wow. filled with certain songs that um, truly were giving me comfort. And, and you know, as I said, um, you know, Bruce Springsteen held my hand as I went through the sickness. His music did. So um, I think that is great. And that's wonderful. Um, so hang Hi. on. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you're doing better. I hope Thank everything's you. going well. Yes, everything is doing very well now, so um, very nice. Good um, for you. Yeah, so hang on. I'm going to do a little business. If you want to join me and talk about your musical passion, not obsession, passion, uh, you can reach me at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at DFW, and the show is at setlessingbruce. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to go to iTunes to rate and review us, that helps a lot. Um, Olivia, I'm going to ask you to hang over and I'm going to ask if you'll do a promo for me. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be good. But we're going to end with, there are places I remember all my life through some have changed some forever, not for better. Some have gone and some remain. All those places have their moments with lovers and friends. I can still recall some are dead and some are living in my life. I've loved them all. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Friends of ours will very kindly say that we could come up and rock with us tonight. The last time we played together was in London High Park where they pulled the plug. That's all they don't plug it. Come tonight, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bruce Springsteen.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.